Last, last summer we went through a hurricane, tropical storm thing, and it was crazy. We had to move beach houses, and we were like, wow, we could have stayed at home and had more fun than this, but um, that's all right. Um, just to go along with what Chuck was saying, I think one of the most difficult things is when the mashing is going on, is to see what's going on through God's perspective. You know, not going, why is this happening to me? You know, I've done everything I'm supposed to do, blah, blah, blah. I don't have any heinous sin in my life. Why is this happening? It's being able to see it from God's perspective. And then if you're somebody else looking at that person, one of the most difficult things to do is to see them through God's perspective and not look at them and say, man, you know, what's going on with that person? You know, what, what's their problem? Why don't they get their act together? You know, or whatever the case is. And uh, So I just wanted to share a few thoughts with you this morning about seeing things from God's perspective and just this whole concept of perspective. And uh, I was praying about this this weekend and the Lord was speaking to me about perspective and the Holy Spirit and how those things, how the Holy Spirit really helps us in that area. And I just wanted to share that with you for a moment. I came across this letter I wanted to read to you from the Jordan Management Consultants. Okay, and it's written to this guy named Jesus, son of Joseph. And it says, Dear Sir, thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you have picked for the managerial positions in your new organization. All of them have now taken our battery of tests, and we have not only run the results through our computer, but also arranged personal interviews for each of them with our psychologist and vocational aptitude consultant. The profiles of all tests are included, and you will want to study each of them carefully. As part of our service, we make some general comments from your, for your guidance, much as an auditor will include some general statements. This is given as a result of staff consultation and comes without any additional fee. It is the staff opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background, education, and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise you are undertaking. They do not have the team concept. We would recommend that you continue your search for persons of experience in managerial ability and proven capability. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. Andrew has absolutely no qualities of leadership. The two brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, place personal interests above company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that would tend to undermine morale. We feel that it is our duty to tell you that Matthew has been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus definitely have radical leanings. And they both registered a high score on the manic depressive scale. One of the candidates, however, shows great potential. He is a man of ability and resourcefulness, meets people well, has a keen business mind, and has contacts in high places. He is highly motivated, ambitious, and responsible. We recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. All of the other profiles are self-explanatory. We wish you every success in your new venture. Sincerely, Jordan Management Consultants. Isn't it interesting how in, you know, two people can look at the same person and see something completely different? 
Oh, that guy has no resourcefulness. That guy, you know, is, is lazy. This person is just, you know, is, is not driven. Or this person doesn't have this quality or that quality. Yet somebody else can look at them and see something completely and totally different. Can see the compassion. You know, can see the creativeness. Uh, the creativity that God has given them. And, uh, you know, in my career as a teacher... I've found that some of the most unmotivated students, some of the students who struggle the most kind of in school and academics, are also can be the most creative students. That if you can somehow reach them in a, a different way than you normally teach other students and spark something in them, then it'll really, you know, they can really uh, catch on to something and spark something in them. And, uh, you know, that's... Is this thing just... What's going on with this, man? <laughs> Turn it down a little bit. Anyway. Test, test. Is there a volume control on here, Aaron? No. Okay. So, anyway. We'll just keep going. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Go to the handheld. So, you know, in the same way, God, from God's perspective, people com- He sees people completely different than we might see them. Um, for example, if you look at Psalm 38, you don't have to turn there. I'll just read a little bit of it. David's saying, O oh Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have pierced me and your hand has come down upon me. Because of your wrath, there is no health in my body. My bones have no soundness because of my sin. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and are loathsome because of my sinful folly. I am bowed down and brought very low. All day long I go about mourning. My back is filled with searing pain. There is no health in my body. I am feeble and utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of heart. All my longings lie open before you, O Lord. My sighing is not hidden from you. And then over in in, uh, Psalm 70, he's lamenting as well, and he says, Save me, O God, for the waters I have come to have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. I am worn out, calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail, looking for my God. Those who hate me without reason outnumber the hairs of my head. Many are my enemies without cause. Those who seek to destroy me, I am forced to restore what I did not steal. You know my folly, O God, my hidden from you. And he goes on and on in these passages to lament how people are chasing him and how all these things are happening to him and from his perspective he's expressing what he felt at that moment maybe you've expressed some of those feelings yourself or being sick or being bankrupt or you know having spiritual enemies coming after you where you just wanted to crawl in a cave and hide but what do we see what do we know about David on this side of it we know that God brought him through this process to prepare him for the challenges that he would face. Right? So he had to see things from God's perspective. 
I'm going to switch it. Okay, is that better? <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, you know, perspective plays a big role in, like, art, doesn't it? Uh, Frank, you, you're involved in art and stuff. What kind of role does perspective play in art? <laughs> question. Well, I know that two different people can look at a piece of art and see something that's totally different. Isn't that right? Sometimes it's hard to figure out exactly what the artist's perspective was. For example, that painting on our wall back in the back building. You're looking at it, okay. <laughs> and uh, to this day, I don't know what the artist had in mind when she painted that, but um, she prayed about it and painted something, and I've seen a lot of cool stuff in it. So, um, you know, it's just perspective offers a lot, uh, reveals a lot about what a person believes. It all has to do with your worldview and your perspective on things. Um, I just wanted to read something to you out of my journal uh, that I had written recently. The key is perspective. When I can see things as God sees them, then I will be changed and things will change around me. Perspective is the key to unlocking my potential in God. God is not concerned or worried about where my life is heading. He knows where I'm going. He is mostly concerned with the process of me getting there. God is always more interested in the process than the end result. Learn to love and place value on the things that God values. The Holy Spirit is the key. The Holy Spirit allows me to see things from God's perspective. Therefore, with the Holy Spirit, I can ask whatever I will and I will receive. The religious spirit or the spirit of the Pharisee lacks God's perspective. You know, and I guess kind of what I just wanted to share this morning comes out of just that journal entry, if you will. I just took some of those things that I wrote in there and just um, really contemplated and prayed about them. And uh, I just wanted to share that. The first thing is that perspective is the key to unlocking your potential in God. Your potential in God. For example... Moses, in Exodus chapter 3, had to get God's perspective on things. You guys know the story. God comes to him in the burning bush, and he's been out for 40 years away from Egypt. And he tells him, Moses, you're going to be the guy to go back and deliver your people. And what was his first response? Not me, God. I'm not your man, for I don't even speak well. <laughs> you know, it would be like God coming to, you know, I'll use Byron since he's not here, God coming to Byron and saying, Byron, you're going to go out as a great worship leader and write prophetic songs that will minister to your generation. <laughs> and if Byron were here, he would be the first one to laugh and tell you, I'm not your man. <laughs> you know, I think that, that may have been, I don't know if it was that extreme or not, but that may have been the situation with Moses. You know, he may have been kind of a soft-spoken, maybe a speech impediment, something like that, but God saw something in Moses' heart that Moses didn't even know existed. And that's what he sees in you as well, in me. Uh, you know the story of Gideon in Judges chapter 6? He's hiding out from the Midianites who have ravaged the land, and the angel comes to him and says, Rise up, O mighty man of valor. He's like, do what? What are you talking about? Who are you talking to? You know, he's looking for somebody behind him or something. And God's saying, no, I'm talking to you, Gideon. 
You know, God sees from his perspective. And then there's the spies that were sent out to spy out the promised land. You know, why didn't all those spies see the same thing? Only Joshua and Caleb came out, came back with a positive report, you know? And I don't know if it was just because they were by nature optimistic. I don't think so. But they were the only ones that got from God his perspective. Um, Andy was mentioning, we were talking about Jacob and how he worked for Rachel, you know, for uh, seven years. But it says that those seven years that he worked was just, you know, probably like seven hours to him or something. It went by so fast because he had a perspective on this thing that he was doing, on this work that he was doing, that he was going to get the woman of his dreams. You know, he had a vision for it. But the vision, he didn't just develop on his own. I believe it came from the Lord. Um, And then, you know, then there's David, of course, uh, who I just read some of his lamenting. But, you know, he saw the giant in a different way than the whole nation, the whole Israelite army saw. Um, get the right perspective when Goliath came against the Israelites the soldiers all thought he's so big we can never kill him David looked at the same giant and and thought he's so big I can't miss you know (laughs) it's just all how you look at it Um, the second thing that I was that the Lord was just pressing upon my heart is that you know this is uh, a, a message that has been preached many times and but it's always a good thing to be reminded of, I think, is that God is always more interested in the process than the end result. God's more interested in developing those things in you that need to be crushed out. You know, getting rid of those things and developing the good qualities and the things that He has for you in order for Him to use you to your full potential. Because he knows that if he released you right this moment into this great worldwide evangelistic ministry, you know, there's probably some things in me that wouldn't, it wouldn't flow. You know what I'm saying? And uh, if you want to know what some of those things are, you can just see my wife afterwards. Um, (laughs) The third thing is learn to love and place value on the things that God loves and values. And Byron has talked quite a bit about this recently. Um, It's just that a religious mindset lacks God's perspective. Um, I just want to guard my heart from a pharisaical perspective, from from the attitude of the Pharisees. Um, You know, sometimes it seemed to them that Jesus bent the rules in order to to reach a person for the sake of a person why would you bend the rules Jesus I mean here was the Samaritan woman that Jesus approached and ministered to number one you don't minister you don't talk to Samaritans number two you don't talk to women and certainly not a Samaritan woman but Jesus bent the rules and you see what happened not only was she redeemed and saved but she went off as one of the first evangelists in the Bible and, and spread the word about Jesus to many of, of the people that she was around. Um, then, you know, there's tons of examples of this. Uh, you know, the, the prostitute that they were going to stone. Um, there's a story of healing on the Sabbath, you know, in uh, John chapter 9. 
I wanted to look at that just real quickly here. As he went along, this is John 9, 1, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? <laughs> this is Jesus' disciples. Who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Okay, so that's their theology, right? If a man's born blind, either he sinned or his parents sinned. And Jesus says, neither this man or his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. You see the perspective difference there? This guy's messed up. He or his parents must have sinned. Jesus said, no, this actually happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life as a testimony. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. He goes on and on. Then he spit on the ground, made a little mud patty, put it on the guy's eyes, and you know the rest of the story. The guy was sent away. He went and washed in the pool of Siloam, and uh, he came home seeing. Then his neighbors, they begged him and asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? And there's a debate about whether he's really, he was really blind or not. They're like, No, he only looks like the guy. And he's like, No, I am the man. So he tells them about Jesus. And so the Pharisees decide, we better investigate. This can't be real. And so they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now, on the day on which Jesus made the mud and opened the man's eyes, it was a Sabbath. Hmm, there's a problem here. Sabbath day. You can't make mud patties on the Sabbath. Okay, remember that. <laughs> they were mad. This is really true. They were really mad. He put mud on my eyes on the Sabbath? Um, this man's not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner do such miracle, miraculous signs? So they were divided. Finally, it turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he's a prophet. The Jews still didn't believe. So the guy goes on and just fusses at him. Give glory to God. You know? So... Do we love and value what God does? Or are we more concerned with, well, you know, He made mud on the Sabbath. You know, let's really... And see, I think the key here is, is knowing what the Holy Spirit is doing. Seeing what God's doing around us and getting, that, getting it from His perspective. Once, uh, here's a little story. Once the, the devil was walking along with one of his cohorts... They saw a man ahead of them pick up something shiny. What did he find? asked the cohort. A piece of the truth, the devil replied. Doesn't it bother you that he found a piece of the truth? asked the cohort. No, said the devil. I will see to it that he makes a religion out of it. So, you know, I think that's a revealing little illustration there. Um... And the last thing that, you know, that I mentioned, I, I was just mentioned here, is that the Holy Spirit is really the key to seeing things from God's perspective. And if you'll turn with me to John chapter 14, verse 8. And I'm going to wrap it up with this. John chapter 14, verse 8. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. 
and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing His work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. So here Jesus is having to present to, his, to this guy Philip, you know, one of his followers, having to present to him and convince him that him and the Father, that he's God, basically. And I thought that was really interesting that he said, okay, I tell you what, Philip, if you won't believe just my words, check out my miracles. If my words aren't enough, then here's the power to back it up. You know, and it just reminds me in, in second, or 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says, you know, whenever the gospel's preached, it will be preached with a demonstration of power. You know, if you don't believe, if you're in here this morning and you don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, then watch for a demonstration of God's power. Watch for it, because it will happen. Then he goes on in verse 12, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. How many people really believe that? That you'll do even greater things than even Jesus did. How is this humanly possible? It's not humanly possible, but it's possible through the Holy Spirit. Verse 15, If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father... And He will give you another Counselor to be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him, for He lives with you and will be in you. Then if you flip over to John 14, verse 25, He says, All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. And then he goes on in verse chapter 15, verse 26. 15, 26. When the Counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And in 16... Uh, verse 7, 16, 7. Unless I go away, the Counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. When He comes, He will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in Me. In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see Me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the Prince of the world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on His own. He will speak only what He hears, and He will tell you what is yet to come. 
He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. So what are some of the things that the Holy Spirit does here that Jesus was telling us? Because, you know, if I have the Holy Spirit, and by the way, if you're born again, the Holy Spirit lives in you, so you have the Holy Spirit. So what are some of the things that the Holy Spirit does that Jesus said explicitly here? Well, first of all, He said that He's a helper. That's a good way to think about the Holy Spirit. Because if we're going to do the things that Jesus did and even greater, we've got to have some help. Amen? If you're, if you're like me, you need some help. Because I can't do this thing. Secondly, He's a counselor. I think that's a really interesting name for the Holy Spirit. How many people need counsel from time to time? And third, He's the Spirit of truth. We live in a, in a world of relativism. What is truth? There's no real truth. You claim to know the truth, well, you're, you know, you're messed up. <laughs> you're uh, not tolerant. Um, well, we have the truth. The Spirit of truth will lead us into all truth. Here's a list of things that he says about the Holy Spirit. He'll be with us forever. He lives with us and in us. He's rejected by the world. Um, which, that's why the world can't understand this thing. It just makes absolutely no sense. And, uh, by the way, if, you know, if you're a person who um, doesn't understand and, and thinks that anything that is going on in church must be foolishness, it's because you have to have a born-again experience in order to experience the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit will reveal, reveal Himself, reveal God to you. Um, so, anyway, He also teaches us all spiritual things. He reminds us of Jesus' words. He testifies about Jesus. Uh, he was sent when Jesus left. He convicts the world of sin. He shows what is righteous. He presents judgment. He guides us into all truth, and He speaks only what He hears from the Father. And by the way, He brings glory to Jesus by revealing the Father. So He speaks only what He hears from the Father. So that means that if I can listen to what the Holy Spirit is trying to say to me, then I'm going to catch a glimpse of what the heart of the Father is. How many people would like to know what the heart of the Father is for your neighbor? or for your co-worker, or for your children. If I will listen to what the Holy Spirit is trying to say to me, then I can know. It's not a mystery. Let's be reminded of that, because I think we forget that. See, that's the whole point of this message. It's so simple, and it's so basic, and it's like, tell me something I didn't know, but it's so profound. The simplest things of God are always the most profound, I believe. You know, it's getting God's perspective because I think that, you know, 99.9% .9 of the problems that we have in church could be avoided if we had God's perspective on a person or on a situation. Amen? So let's not go through things that we don't need to go through. Let's ask God for His perspective. But the way to get it is through the Holy Spirit, not through our own kind of, you know, thinking it through or that kind of thing. Um, this last little thing uh, I read this thing this guy says when I think of perspective 
perspective, this is for you farmers in here, Neil. I'm often reminded of a conversation between me and my son in the summer he turned four. That spring, Mark had asked for a spot in the family garden to call his own. He turned the soil, broke the clumps, and planted his favorite vegetable, corn. You got a lot of corn coming up. So the kid was like Judah's age. Toward the middle of July, Mark was concerned that his corn was not growing fast enough. I tried to reassure him that the corn was doing just fine by quoting him the familiar benchmark used by farmers, knee-high by the 4th of July. My lesson came with his retort, my knees are yours. So, <laughs> um, how do you see your circumstances right now? Do you see your circumstances through God's perspective or through your own perspective or through your friend's perspective or through your family's perspective? I want to just ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you this morning your circumstances or the people in your life through His perspective. Amen? Um, one of the, uh, you know, Matthew's talking, uh, part of it is dealing with the spirit of religion. And when he was talking about the Pharisees, in, uh, it's, it's very easy for us to see how ridiculous it would be that, um, you know, making mud and healing the eyes of a man, um, why that would, you know, it's easy for us now to see why that, you know, that is a good thing, you know, it's hard for us to see why that was a bad thing for them, you know? But the truth is, we all have religious ideas that we need to get rid of. And only God can show us those things. It's easiest for us to spot in the Bible why it was ridiculous for the Pharisees to be accusing Jesus of healing this man on the Sabbath. But, but in our hearts, there's things just like that. And, um, you know... Uh, God is really trying to root that out of this body of believers. I really feel there's a, there's the Lord is speaking this to us very clearly. You know, Matthew and Byron have been talking about this for weeks now, and um, that's that's really been on my heart is that the Lord would show me um, His perspective, because we, you know, for those of us that were raised in the church. Um, it's true that you learned the traditions of men. That, that weren't the law of the Lord. And, and, and only the law of the Lord will bring life, not the traditions of men. And, and I have one little anecdote on... on um, this is the best anecdote on perspective that I've ever heard. There was a man walking down a street, and he saw this little boy in the front yard, and the little boy had a wiffle bat in his arms, and he had a wiffle ball. And he declared, I am the greatest baseball player in the world. He throws the ball up. He misses the ball. He grabs the ball and he says, I am the greatest baseball player in the world. He throws the ball up, takes a swing, and misses the ball again. Finally, he says to himself, I am the greatest baseball player in the world. He throws the ball up as high as he can. He takes his bat. He goes all the way back. Whiff. He misses the ball again. And he says, Whew, what a pitcher. So if we could all just uh, stand up together.
And uh, I want you to... I want you to just take a minute and uh, maybe think about a circumstance that you need God's perspective on, or maybe it's a person that you need God's perspective on. And let's just pray together right now and just pray a simple prayer of faith and believe that the Holy Spirit can reveal to you His heart concerning your circumstance. So, Father, we just thank You for uh, this morning, and we thank You for speaking to us, Lord, just this very simple word. God, and uh, I just pray right now that You would reveal to us our circumstances and the way that You see them, Father. Lord, we ask You for revelation. We ask You for understanding, Lord, about these circumstances, God, that we can't seem to get a handle on. We just ask You, Lord, to show us and to speak to us and to give us peace, Lord, in the midst of the storm. And Lord, just like Andy was saying, I pray, Lord, that You would show us uh, where that little piece of Pharisee is in all of our hearts, God. That You would just show us what that is. You'd help us to root it out of, of us, Lord. Lord, so that we can really be true disciples, real true followers of You, Lord. And not just the traditions of men, Lord. We just thank You and we praise You. And everybody said, Amen.